So this is the passage I'm going to be looking at. Colossians 1, 24 to chapter 2, verse 5. I'll read it to you first. Now I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you and fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how hard I'm contending for you and for those in Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in the body, I am present with you in the spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So these chunks of verses um, that I chose to preach on, actually, uh, has lots and lots of truth, which I can't completely unpack this morning. So I'll give you a bit of an overview. In this passage, Paul's introducing himself uh, to this new church in Colossae, and he hasn't met them yet because he's in prison. But he's letting them know how committed he is to them. And also he's letting them know that the suffering he has gladly borne um, is in service for them. And his aim for them is to know the vast wealth of the gospel, for them to become mature Christians who are able to grasp these truths. And these truths are a mystery, not that they can't be known, but they're a mystery because they're really wonderful and fully available to them, and that they need nothing else, which Tim went through a couple of weeks ago. It's really important when we unpack the scriptures that we preach the whole context of what the writer is saying and not stretch out maybe one verse to make it say the whole lot of other stuff that the writer didn't intend. But, so I said it as a bit of caveat, but actually uh, I hope I'm not going to take it out of context, but I really felt that God wanted me to talk about suffering with you and what Paul says about it. Um, it's the tip of the iceberg what I'm going to preach on this morning. So I just want to kind of put a caveat to begin with. I, I really don't want to offend you or discourage you if you are going through an aspect of suffering or if you're thinking about an aspect of suffering that I'm not going to cover this morning. It's too massive a subject to answer every little bit, obviously. Um, but I wanted to uh, recommend a book to you. Uh, Jamie, can you see this book? Yes. Good. OK, so this is the book. Uh, it's not the book, actually, uh, but it's a book by Timothy Keller called Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. Um, and I've not read many books on suffering because it's not like, you know, the most lovely subject to read on. But um, I really enjoyed this book because it's biblical and it's compassionate 
and includes stories of people who have been through suffering and have come out the other side who are in suffering as well and um yeah i'd really recommend it to you if it's something that you are struggling with or, or want to know more about um so i'm not gonna possibly read or go through the entirety of what suffering means um i particularly want to look at, a, at verse 24 though uh, of chapter one. Now I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. So, I mean, straight away I looked at that um, um, fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions. Now that looks like a really iffy verse, doesn't it? It seems to be saying that something is lacking or missing in what Jesus has done, which of course can't possibly be what Paul meant. Um, and it's really important to, if a verse seems a bit weird or jarring with the rest of scripture that we look at what the rest of scripture says. And Paul never says anything like this anywhere else. Um, and also sometimes if a translation seems a bit tricky, it's good to look at other translations and commentators suggest that as well. And in the NIV version, this word lacking actually isn't very helpful. The King James version says not filling up what is lacking, but filling up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ, which is a lot better, isn't it? So maybe the NIV doesn't mean lacking. It means what is remaining. And if we think about remaining remnants of sin, you know, before when Adam and Eve were in the garden, there wasn't any sin and there wasn't any suffering. And then, of course, they blew it. And then since then, there has been sin and there has been suffering in our lives and unfortunately will be until we die. And we're with him in heaven or Jesus returns to the earth and it's all it's all gone then. And since suffering is always present um, in our lives, there's going to be an ongoing quantity of it that Jesus isn't on earth to experience. So maybe this is what Paul meant by filling up what is lacking, what is still remaining of the suffering that is still there in the world. So Paul's saying he's experiencing some of the suffering that is still present in the world. Uh, in another point, apparently commentators say that uh, in Greek, the word that Paul uses for afflictions isn't a word he uses when he talks about Christ's suffering. So actually he's not really relating his suffering with what Jesus went through on the cross. Also says in verse 24 that he rejoices. Now I mean I don't know about you but I cannot rejoice in suffering and I don't think Paul is saying that he's actually enjoying suffering but he's rejoicing in his suffering because he identifies with Jesus. He's thinking that if Jesus suffered then he's like Christ when he Paul suffers. Theologically, I thought you might like to know that this is a concept called corporate Christology. Uh, and that is what is true of Christ is also true of his body, which is the church. And that idea has really um, stayed with me for a number of weeks. This idea of what is true of Christ is also true of me. And in verse 27, which I'll go on to later, it talks about Christ in us. But the Bible also says that we are in Christ. And I was chatting to Tim about this and he said that there's an image which I found really helpful of a cup in the ocean. And the cup has got the ocean in it, which is like Christ in us. But the cup is actually in the ocean, in that vast oceanness of Jesus and of God. 
I did have an image. It's not as good as the one in my head. Um, I did imagine a teacup bubbling along the top, but this will do. You can see that there is the ocean in the cup and a vast amount of ocean all around the cup. And that is like us, Christ in us, but we are in this massiveness of Christ. So Paul says, you know, we suffer because we are like Christ. I mean, actually we suffer because we're in the world and Jesus wasn't, was he? We suffer because of the sin that came about through Adam and Eve, but Jesus, you know, wasn't part of that sin. And yet he chooses to suffer with us, which I just think is really awe-inspiring and humbling, you know, that Jesus chose to be subject to this world and allowed himself to suffer like we do. But of course, actually, Jesus suffered much more than most of us will ever suffer. Excruciating pain on the cross, rejection from friends, separation from God for a moment, separation from his human family and friends, and death. And all of that for his body, the church, us. The fact that Jesus has suffered just makes him so trustworthy when we suffer because he knows. And Christians suffer because we follow the example of Christ, because we are in Christ. Paul says that in following Christ, you know, suffering is part of our life because Christ suffered and therefore we will too. And it's a sign that we are Christ. So Paul rejoices in suffering because it's a sign that he is just like Jesus. He refers to this in quite a lot of other passages, actually, and he refers to it as fellowship with or sharing in Christ's sufferings. There's a number of verses, but the couple I picked out, Romans 8, 17. Now, if we are children, then we are, we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. And Peter says it as well, actually, in 1 Peter 4, 13. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. So we are in Christ and we share, participate in Christ's sufferings. And so too will we share in his glory when we're with him forever, when all of that suffering comes to an end and we are with our maker uh, and everything that is not of him is, is not there and we are just with the one who loves us the best. When Paul talks about his suffering, you know, it's obvious that his suffering is directly related to the gospel. He was imprisoned to stop him preaching. But we suffer usually not in that way, not in this country anyway. So I was thinking, you know, well, can we identify with Paul in this? You know, we do suffer. We suffer physical uh, and mental health issues. We have financial pressures, don't we? And emotional upset. You know, we suffer loneliness. And I was thinking, actually, even to bring up families... Um, often without partners, but even with, bringing up our partners to love God is tough. It involves difficult choices for us as parents and for our children. And there is difficulty suffering involved. And I think one of the biggest things is, you know, walking in a path that we didn't plan to walk in. You know, we thought, we think, I, I don't know how, why, we're, why, why I'm on this journey. I didn't choose it. It's so hard to walk with God and not be bitter with him. And I think, you know, that when we love, we suffer. And the more you love someone, the more when that person goes through grief and pain, that becomes our own. 
And surely there's no higher way of following Jesus than by loving others. Here's a lovely verse, which I know you're familiar with, but it's so good. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 to 12. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. It's a great set of verses, isn't it? We're like jars of clay. We're not impermeable. We're not you know, resistant to stresses and strains. We feel them. We crack. We suffer for the sake of revealing Christ in our lives. We have the Holy Spirit with us. You know, we are not crushed, but still it's tough, isn't it? And still on verse 24, for the sake of his body. So look, I've looked at kind of just skimmed over types of suffering, but I was thinking, how can our suffering be for the sake of his body? Like Paul said that his suffering was. Now, sometimes suffering is a result of the choices we make and it's a natural consequence. And then it's probably not for the sake of his body. But so many more times, actually, when we suffer, it's inexplicable. You know, we look and we think, well, I don't know why we're going through this. You know, I've walked with God. I've tried to make good choices. We, we can't find discernible reasons, can we? But sometimes we can look back to times that we haven't understood there and then. And we look back and we, we can see God's hand bringing it all to good. You know, we can think of that you know, in, in our family and know that there has been good that's come out of it. And that is just so blessing. It's such a blessing. It really builds your faith. And there's lots of testimonies amongst us when that's true. Romans 8, 28, which I'm not going to put up, says that all things work to the good of those who are called according to his purpose. But, you know, at the time and even after, his purpose may not be understood by us. You know, often we and our loved ones suffer and we can't find any reason at all, either in it or even after it. And it can be really painful. But we're called to represent Jesus and to build his body and the church using the gifts he's given us. And when we suffer, it will be for our ultimate good, because that's what the Bible says. But no, we may not understand it then or after. So often it's a mystery, isn't it? We talk to God about it. We walk with him in it. But ultimately, we mustn't take offence. We need to be honest with him and maybe rail against him, but walk with him in it. He loves you and he will deliver you. Suffering will be for a purpose. It may not be one that you see. It may be that others look on and they are blessed and built through you. It may be, who knows, you'll be welcomed as God's good and faithful servant having walked through it. We may never understand it in this lifetime, but you know, when we're in heaven, it won't matter, will it? We need to just trust in him. And that's a tough one, isn't it? How do we take this suffering and use it for the sake of his body, like Paul was doing? You know, we learn from people who suffer and walk with God in the process who are present with us. It's been hard through lockdown, hasn't it? But we've still been keeping up relationships. It will be much easier when we can see each other face to face on a week to week basis. 
but it is really inspiring and humbling when we see, I've seen you guys deal with awful situations and still are, but you stay amongst us in the process and in the church and we can learn from you. You know, when we suffer, it's a shame, but it's true, but only when things are going badly, usually, that we really experience how true and faithful God is. We go through the furnace of sufferings and some of the stuff that seemed really important to us at the time just burns away, doesn't it? And there's only God who really matters and you're holding on to God tightly. I was reading a book a few weeks ago that used an image of a chap who was going into a swimming pool and his little son, three-year-old son, something like that, is holding tightly onto his dad. But actually that, that little boy doesn't hold on very tightly and can't hold on for very long. But the dad has got a much stronger grip and a much longer lasting grip. And that little boy is safe, not because of him holding onto his dad, but because his dad is holding onto him. And I think about that when we're going through suffering. You know, we hold on to God, but actually much more, he's holding on to us. And we can know God differently. We can feel him holding us. We know him more intimately and more strongly. And many of you model that for us. And you know not to take offence at God and to wait for him. How hard it is to wait for God. But the testimonies are so good that God has delivered you. And we need to learn from each other. We need to learn to grow up together, to increase in maturity, learn a bit of grit and staying power. So seeing you living out suffering is you suffering for the sake of the church. Sometimes for the sake of the church is enabling the church to bless each other. But I think actually much more are that people who suffer bless us. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't really want to be a blessing like that. <laughs> but we all have the opportunity to do that. And we have that chance to be Christ-like, to suffer for the sake of the church, to walk with God every step of the way, whether it's easy or whether it's hard. And I think as well, that there is also a bit of suffering when we are in ministry, when we follow Christ in building the church, serving during the week, serving on a Sunday morning, which will happen as we get back to the church building. Any kind of ministry does involve a bit of effort and a bit of struggle and sometimes a bit of suffering. You know, denying our flesh, serving when we'd rather not. Actually, lots of people serve in the church because they want to build the church, not because they're really excited necessarily about what they're doing. Even if you are uh, really enjoying it, it still requires practicing and dedication. You know, when you come to a week meet, weekday meeting, sometimes you may not feel like it, but you are suffering for the sake of the church if you come, even if you've had a rough day, even if you're tired, even if you're feeling that you just want to be by yourself. No, we are there to be blessings for each other. And therefore, just even coming to a group is actually serving God and serving the body. And actually, when we lead, sometimes um, it can involve a bit of criticism sometimes, which is a shame, but is true. And when we bear that, again, that is suffering for the sake of the church. Philippians 1 verse 29, which I haven't got up, says, For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. And the way we serve may not seem like real suffering, but it does go against the individualistic way of society that's around us. You know, when we serve others, it costs in effort or commitment, dedication. 
And there's a lot more effort involved than some of those Facebook posts. You know, you get them up where, you know, if you're really concerned about somebody being suicidal, then you like a post or share it. And, you know, that probably is important to reach people who, who need to know a, a contact number or something, but it it's, requires nothing like the effort that is involved in actually being with people and serving them day after day, whether you want to or not. So the last bit, verse 27, Christ in us, the hope of glory. Paul is saying, Christ being in us is like a deposit which guarantees our salvation. Actually, you know, as, as, um, as Rob was saying, it's actually the blood, isn't it, that guarantees our salvation. But Christ in us is like a deposit. You know, it, 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 it just like a sign. He is the hope of glory. And that hope becomes knowledge that we will go to heaven and we will have him in us and we will be with him day after day. And we have that moment by moment friendship with the creator of the whole universe and all the power that we have available, you know, to be Christ on earth with him. And it means that we are his. And not only do we identify with him, but amazing upon amazing, he identifies with us. You may know that Tim and I moved house a couple of months ago and I'm doing the garden and next doors bindweed keeps coming in and binds itself around plants. Now bindweed is not good but I do think about God when I see that bindweed intertwining and sometimes I can't see what the plant is and what the bindweed is and I have to work really carefully to untwine it and we are intertwined with God in a good bindweed sort of way <laughs> except he's inside us as well isn't it and because he's in us when we suffer, he is affected. You know, Jesus wept when Lazarus died. And there's a bit in Acts chapter 9, verse 3 to 5, which I have up. No, not that one, done that one. So chapter 9, verses 3 to 5. Um, as he neared, that's um, Paul, who was called Saul at the time. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Jesus was saying that when Paul persecuted the Christians and made them suffer, it was Paul directly making Jesus suffer. And it's saying like when we suffer, Jesus also chooses to suffer. He is in us and we are in him. And our suffering is significant to Jesus. The way you suffer is important to Jesus and you are not alone when you suffer. The biggest lie the devil tells us, he says, you are alone, no one cares. No, that is a lie. And when you hear that being whispered, you must shout back at the devil, no, I am not alone. Jesus is in me and I am in him. Jesus cares. And there is no one more important or more powerful than him. As a church, you know, we cannot fill the void of someone else's suffering. Only Jesus can do that. What we can do is we can pray. And that is really powerful. And I know that Tim and I and you, in times when we found things so hard, it is such a blessing to know that people are standing with us, often weeping with us 
and they can't fix things. They can pray and they can pray to the God who will fix things, but they can't fill the void themselves. Only Jesus can. But we must pray with each other, mustn't we? Because that is a massive support. But he is the most important. He is with us every step of the way. And our sufferings are not ours alone. They are Jesus's because he and we are one. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 to 7 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. So there we are standing with each other, not actually able to deliver each other, but supporting, but pointing each other to the God who comforts us and delivers us. So we can rejoice that Christ is in us and we are in Christ. We are forever joined with him. We mustn't be fearful about suffering. It's unfortunately part of our life, but Jesus is with us and he will deliver us. And when we suffer, it's for a season and doesn't last. But during that process, we can know that we are his. We can trust him because he suffered. We can trust him to deliver us. And our whole identity is with him. So we have an opportunity. We have an opportunity that when we suffer, we choose to suffer for the sake of the church, to live openly amongst each other, to share with each other and stand with each other in prayer and to continue to serve each other. We are the body, his church. And when we walk with God as we suffer, then it is for the sake of the church. And when we do that, we are most like Christ.